You are listening to episode 14 of the Design Influence with Albie Knows. So this time last year, I met Nikki McNeil at High Point Market, spring 2018, and we became fast friends just after like a few conversations. A year later, this most recent High Point Market, spring 2019, we were actually on the Design Bloggers Tour together. So as you can see, a lot can happen in a year, just like in Nikki's business. Nikki McNeil is a Raleigh, North Carolina native and has been working in the interior design industry for nearly 10 years. After being fired unexpectedly at the beginning of 2018, she decided to build her own design company, Single Bubble Pop Design Studio. In less than a year, she's grossed well over six figures and is already starting to build her own team. Her design company has been profitable from day one because she applied business principles to her design services, creating systems that maximize her profitability. She's an entrepreneur first, a businesswoman first, and a designer second. In this conversation, if you hadn't guessed from the title, we are going to get into a lot of the things that we're really never told when we decide to go into business for ourselves, from how to pay yourself to what it takes to actually get paid in the first place. So if you're making the transition into entrepreneurship and self-employment and kind of in this weird gray area of figuring it out, the whole business side of everything... This is definitely one conversation you're going to enjoy. Welcome to The Design Influence, a show dedicated to changing the conversation and creating impact on and offline. The Design Influence is all about you, the online designpreneur, helping you be a better designer and entrepreneur in this new digital landscape. I'm your hostess with the mostest, online interior designer, content creator, and nonstop idea machine, Albie of Albie Knows Online Interior Design. If you're ready for some candid and caffeinated conversations about everything from decoding interior design tools to growing pains as an entrepreneur to figuring out what the heck it means to be an influencer, then turn up your earbuds and let's dive in. Hi, Nikki. How are you? Hey, I'm doing great. So I've already told our listeners why you're awesome and all that jazz, but if you could just like kind of really briefly, quick and dirty, give our listeners a little bit about who you are, um, and then we're going to jump right into our conversation from there. Sound good? Yes. Um, So my name is Nikki McNeil. Um, I am a Raleigh, North Carolina-based interior designer. Uh, I was actually born and raised in Raleigh. attended UNC Chapel Hill and Meredith College, where I completed my degree in interior design after seven years, which is a long story. <laughs> but um, in in that in-between time, I was living and working in Atlanta, where I kind of established myself as a interior designer and design blogger. And uh, I've been in the industry since 2009. And as of this year, I am officially running my own interior design studio, Um, currently just myself, but um, focusing on doing full service design projects, um, as well as some e-design projects. Okay, so 
you have really been on both sides of being a designer as part of a firm, part of a team. And as you said, now running your own ship. So at the time of recording, just for context for our listeners, how long have you been doing this solo? So this month makes seven full months. Seven full months of me doing it solo. So by the time this goes live, it'll have probably been closer to a year. And I'm pretty confident that most of our listeners are like super talented at, you know, being designers or creatives and all that jazz. But when it comes to um, the entrepreneur piece, that is where sometimes they stumble. You know, their craft is awesome, but really being a business owner is where it becomes hard for them to bridge that gap. How have you been able to really bridge that gap now that you are wearing all the hats in your business? So I think a big part of why I was able to quickly bridge a gap is the last position that I was in, I was running my own projects. Um, it was a, I was the first hire of this very small firm. Um, it was two ladies at the time, one who wasn't really actively working in the business, the other who was kind of managing projects. And when she hired me, I was already experienced and so she just handed me projects and I ran with them. And so I, even though I wasn't working for myself, I was independently managing projects for clients. And so with that meant that I was able to look at, you know, the project management piece and be able to, you know, understand that as well as the money of budgeting making maximizing your profit through being effective and also pricing things in the way that you need to to make your your money so I think that really kind of gave me a great foundation because I think a lot of times when you work for someone else you may not be seeing that whole picture you're just doing your work right you're just designing but because I was in a position where I was touching all the parts of the business when I started on my own it was just a matter of establishing the accounts that I needed and implementing what I already knew about the business side of it. So even though you were somewhere else, you still had a pretty um, a pretty healthy amount of autonomy so that being a business owner wasn't a complete shock to you. It was under someone else's umbrella, but all those kind of like operational pieces, you were always Yes, and... I can't leave out the fact that this is my second time starting my own business on my own. The first time was in 2011, and I had no idea what I was doing. I, I had set a goal for myself to save a certain amount of money. And then in my mind, once I had this backup of money saved, I quit the job that I was working. It was just a nine to five of receptionist position. that had nothing to do with what I wanted to do. It was just strictly my financial backer. Um, I quit that job with no business plan. And I really didn't understand specifically the interior design business of how to make money in interior design. I had an idea in my head, but I did not have a plan. I didn't know what I was doing. So that was 2011. So flash forward to now, I have almost spent the last seven years educating myself and trying to understand what I didn't know back then. <laughs> so got it. So kind of 
filling in those pieces. Yeah. So even though, like I said, I was doing it for someone else, in my off time, I have been reading, listening to podcasts, going to the high point and going to seminars, you know, just in, engulfing myself in as much as I could to know how does a successful interior design business work? Because I did, I knew it was in my future. I knew that's something that I wanted, but I I didn't want to do it again and fail. <laughs> and so, and at, at the very least, you you want to make sure you learn from those mistakes. Yes, you definitely don't want to. Even if you were to quote unquote fail, it has to be for something different. If you didn't learn from the first time, then why are we doing right. it again? So for yes, sure. you know. So was entrepreneurship always the goal when you got into the design industry or is it just something that kind of as you evolved as a designer, you realized you want to do this on your own? Uh, That's a great question. So when I first started out, no, it wasn't my goal. Um, I kind of, I think I, I was open. I was very open to different possibilities. And if you look at my career, if I went through my whole resume, which I want, you'll see that I kind of touched a lot of different areas of design. And that's because I've always just been open for that next best opportunity. So when I initially was, when I moved to Atlanta, initially was working in design, I was kind of focused on residential. And then just by circumstance I got tapped into the TV the entertainment side of it um and then when I decided to go back to school I had a professor who recommended or just saw in me that I had a affinity for the commercial side of design and so she recommended hey why don't you go work for a bigger design firm so you could do commercial design in, in an architecture environment and so that was a, another transition and I did that for a couple of years then I was that and was in the multifamily arena, um, which is not residential, but it's tangential to residential. So I always wanted to be able to see and be in like different parts of the design industry, but not necessarily as the business owner. I will say that I have an entrepreneurial spirit and in every job I always treated it as if it was my company because I want to do my best and highest work. And so even in all those arenas, I really tried to understand the business, my role in the business and from a macro and micro level, how does this business work? Because I mean, you're part of it. So you definitely want to know how all the moving pieces kind of come together to create this big picture. That, that's what I'm getting from you there. You, you never kind of like pigeonholed yourself into I'm just this or I'm just that. And do you feel like leaving yourself open to that learning and to just knowing all of it um, contributed um, to your success? Because for our listeners, you've had a pretty impressive start. You know, in less than a year, you've grossed over six figures and you're already planning into the new year. So do you think it's because you left yourself open to those possibilities and open to constantly learning? Yes, I think it's that. Um, I think... Um... My biggest challenge so far in the beginning was shifting my mindset from someone who was getting paid to do the work to someone who is generating the money. (laughs) You go from getting paid to do the work to actually having to generate that money, that cash flow. And so when 
I was approached with a project, it's easy to just think, how much do I need to make? But in reality, you need to think, what, how much can I make from this project for my business? And then you pay yourself out of that. So that shift of mindset from employee to CEO or whatever title uh, you want to go with. So that, that shift in mindset of making an income versus generating a profit. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and that's, that is reflected in so many little decisions for your business. And so I, I had to just think about every single step. Like, how am I pricing this fabric? How am I pricing this, you know, furniture piece I'm going to sell to them? Am I accounting for all the time it's going to take me to do this task? And so if, if you're not at a point in your career where you have a history of time to look back on or those oops moments that cost you and you maybe not are accounting for in pricing things is very difficult to just jump. But because, like I said, I've worked in so many different arenas, I kind of had a good gauge on how long it takes me to do things, how much it costs for goods, how much it costs for services. And so when someone approaches me about a design project, I'm able to more accurately predict how much I need to charge for it. And this kind of reminds me of something I'd asked you and your answer, like now it makes the answer clearer, but I still want you to explain the distinction. I asked you what you want people to know about you. And I loved your answer. You said, I am an entrepreneur first and designer second. And I'm, I'm seeing where that distinction comes from just in you know everything you're saying, but explain a little bit what that really means to you. Well, I come from a family of entrepreneurs. Um, my grandfather ran a paint and body car place for about 50 years. And so I grew up oh, wow. to see him, him run his business. Um, and then my dad also is a serial entrepreneur. He had Subway franchises. He had product lines that he developed. He had a car dealer, used car dealership for a certain amount of time. So I just always grew up around that energy, that hustle energy. And so it was just something that was normal to me. Um, even my mom, my mom's a real estate broker. So that's somewhat of an entrepreneurial um, aspect as well. And so even as an employee, I always was thinking of the business and not just my job role. So that's why I said I'm an entrepreneur first before a designer, because I think I would apply that mindset to any business or industry that I was in. Um, and then specifically to the design business, design is so subjective. And, you know, what you think is beautiful is not going to be the same as someone else. And so for when I think about my business, I'm thinking about the experience that I'm creating through the services and through the products that I'm providing for these clients. And so I have to think of that 100% of the time, but I'm only thinking of the actual design details for maybe 25% of the time. So that's why I would say I'm an entrepreneur more so than a designer. And I love that because a lot of times designers, what they're struggling with is that business mindset. You know, just as creatives, we want to create. We, we just want to make the pretty things. Do you come 
do you think that that comes with like a lack of this understanding business or maybe not having exposure to all those different pieces of the business or just a resistance altogether? And I just want to create. I think it's a little both. I think it's a lack of exposure, but also I think it's just, we get so um, excited and energized by the pretty side of design versus the the business side tends to feel like a job. Now I'm I'm a little bit half and half. I'll I'll admit I get excited about a spreadsheet and I also get excited about a mood board. <laughs> and so for you, that that kind of that business acumen was it's a little innate. So you're not naturally resistant the way some people may be to systems and workflows and just all those kind of not pretty pieces. Mm-hmm. So now, would you say that even though, you know, you come from an entrepreneurial background, that's something that you still had to get over time as you were exposed to these different arenas? For sure, for sure. Um, even, like I said, with my work experience and learning the business through work, I also just took the time to go and hear from other people who have been in this industry and are killing it as business owners and see, you know, what their perspective is on things. Um, I'll never forget. I, w- I went to a, a talk, um, Denise, I think it's like Hey, I think I'm pronouncing her name right. She did a talk at high point and she broke it down. Why the flat fee, model of billing was so much more profitable than charging hourly for projects. And I was already doing that in the business I was working for, but the way that she broke it down and just seeing the numbers laid out made so much sense to me that I was like, I'm never going to do hourly services again. (laughs) (laughs) And so that to me, those, those experiences, those aha moments and like having someone who's doing it and has been doing it a certain way explained to me are what gave me the confidence to walk into, okay, now I'm going to build how I have been educated to, to understand is the best for my business. So you, you've taken all of that knowledge and you really kind of, you made it fit in the way that makes the most sense for you, which is what we should all be doing. We should be learning and then kind of molding it into our own way. Do you find that you're gravitating more towards like general entrepreneurs or designers when it comes to really feeding your education? Hmm, that's a good question. I I feel like I have been doing probably sixty percent designer entrepreneurs and 40% just general business because a lot of um, what it takes to to run a a profitable business is about systems and automation and that applies to anything um, not just design and so I I look outside of my industry too because I, I think a lot of times we can get too specific with the business and get bogged down with the details before we're looking at things from kind of a overhead level. I wanted to take a quick second out to thank you for listening to today's show. If you've made it this far, that means you like me. You really, really like me. And for that, I am beyond thankful. The design influence is all about you, the designpreneur. And so without you, there would be no show and there would be no design influence. So for us to keep growing, I need a favor from you. 
If you're not already subscribed, even though I really hope you are, I would love it if you go ahead and make things official between us and then share the show with your biz bestie, your design bestie, so that you guys can listen and discuss together. The more the merrier. And if you're really, really loving me and the show, I would appreciate it even more if you take another quick second out to rate and review the show. Those ratings and those reviews really help other amazing designpreneurs find the show so that we can all be in this together. And it also lets me know how I'm doing. So I really want to thank you so, so much again. I appreciate you for listening and for taking time out to make me a part of your day. And now let's get back into the conversation. So what are some of the business principles that you've kind of like the key um principles really that you think have contributed to your success right now you talk about you know thinking profitability first um what else has really do you think contributed especially as a new solopreneur or self-employed um what are those principles that have really added to that success for you um i think number one would be knowing the cost benefit of taking on an opportunity the overall cost not just the numbers, the money, but doing a kind of a SWOT analysis. Like that's just business one-on-one, right? Gotta love a good SWOT analysis. (laughs) Yeah, because if you are, if you've established yourself and you're known, you're visible in some way, there's going to be people that reach out to you all the time, but every opportunity is not for you. And it can be tempting to try to fit it all in. But if you sit down and really do a complete overhaul look at it, it may not be the right thing for you. Um, I've definitely had to say no to a couple opportunities that I was excited about. But when we sat down and and looked at the terms, it it just didn't benefit me in the way that I needed to at this time in my business. I want to dissect that a little bit um, just to interrupt you for a second. This can be applicable to business opportunities as well as new projects new clients because yes. mm-hmm. a lot of times especially for new designers if you pay me I'll take you you know that's the mindset I want all the projects I want all the money and so sometimes it can be hard to say no matter how profitable quote-unquote it may seem it can be hard to say no this isn't the right fit or the right time or whatever the case is and that works both on the business side and on the design side Absolutely. I mean, you would hate to take on a project with a client that just ruined your mental health. And <laughs> or at the end of the project, you look at it and it's not even indicative of your your design style or your work. And even though you may have gotten paid for that, is it worth it? Yeah. What's the value add in the big picture? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that is not specific to design, but really is just basic good uh, financial health of the business. I learned from Christy Wright. I read her book, Business Boutique. And this is another another light bulb moment for me. She explained her system of, I guess, splitting up her profits. So she automatically puts 25% into savings for her business, 25% into savings for her personal savings, and then the rest of the 50% is profit. And that can either be to paying yourself or just staying in your business cash flow. But that was like a game changer for me because I was always worried about 
before this was my sole income, I was worried about how do I predict how much to pay myself? How do I know like how much, you know, I should keep in my business or keep in savings, whatever. And just using that formula has been a great thing for me. And in addition to my personal budget, just knowing, okay, if I'm bringing in X amount of dollars to my business, then only 50% of that is actually going to be, you know, accessible cash. The rest of it is going to go into either my personal savings or my business savings. And it just gives you a sense of security that's so good. And that's something that is that is so real, like knowing how to pay yourself, because for a lot of new and sometimes even not so new, you know, designers, entrepreneurs, you know, you're getting paid for projects. You're making money on the service on the surface at the end of the year or the quarter, depending on where you live. You know, you pay your taxes or maybe you put some things back in the business. And then meanwhile, you personally didn't actually make any any money, you know, Um Especially when it comes to dealing with taxes, Uncle Sam then took everything you made, and now you're like, "Wait, I have nothing." Like, especially if you started it to hit specific goals, maybe replace an income, go on vacation, and you still can't do those things. So I think it's awesome that you set yourself up with a formula to make sure my business is making money, but I am making money as well, and kind of really delineating between the two. Yeah, back away now. Sorry, I was just going to say, you can back, back, start from the end and back up and say, okay, you know, if I want to pay myself X amount of dollars and I know that only 50% of the income of my business is going to be available to me to pay myself, then I need to make this amount in order for me to pay myself each month. And so it enables you to create those goals, um, those financial goals to, to hit and then cover your basis. Because often we hear to reverse engineer it, you know, that's how we figure out our pricing. Think about how much you want to bring in and then kind of work backwards based on the amount of hours you want to work, your projects, whatever the case is. A lot, we hear that all the time. That's how a lot of people come up with their fees. But I love that component of reverse engineering it, um, knowing that only 50% of it is for you. So now that number is going to change substantially in terms of your your fees and if you're selling product or just charging flat fees or hourly, whatever it is. Exactly. Now, I want to talk about some of the challenges because I can't imagine it's always been easy. Am I right? No, <laughs> it has not always been easy. <laughs> so what, um, well, first of all, I want to back it up. As of right now, are you a kind of a solopreneur or are you building a team? I am building a team. So I have been doing everything by myself up until now. And I realized uh, about six weeks ago that I I need help. <laughs> All of the hats that I'm wearing, are some of them are falling off my head. And so uh, <laughs> I am onboarding an assistant right now. And as I'm doing that, I'm realizing that this role, I'm still defining it as I'm, as I'm onboarding her. And so... It's, it's a challenge because, you know, there's a teaching element to bringing someone on um, and also figuring out what their strengths are and how they can benefit you. And so I'm in the process of, of doing that right now. Okay, so that's already one of the challenges. 
um, the decision to start building a team, aside from just realizing you can't do all the things, um, was that also a result of maybe some things going wrong or you were just kind of really pragmatic before things go wrong? I need to get some help in here. Um, it was preventative. So looking at my pipeline and knowing things that I have coming up, I knew that in order for me to still have the emotional and mental space to, to do the things that I do best, I needed to be able to outsource or offload some things. Um, because at the end of the day, people are coming to my business for me. And if I'm not accessible because I'm doing things that someone else can do, then that's going to inhibit my growth. Totally, totally. Sometimes we have to know when we need help. And that's that's hard, but necessary. So for a new designer who may be fresh out of school, out of another career, and they find themselves struggling with wearing all the hats, what's the first thing that you would advise them to do? So I would definitely document your days. Uh, I'm pretty obsessive about my calendar. I use Google Calendar, and I also use a paper calendar, and I try to almost journal. I think I'm actually going to transition to bullet journaling, what people call bullet journaling, because I like to really account for as much of my day as I can um, so that I can see how much time I'm putting to what. And I think as, especially as women, we we wear so many hats and have so many things just to just to be, <laughs> you know, and so you have to document that as well. Like for a perfect example this week, uh, I am finally going on vacation on Saturday and I, in preparation for packing, realized yesterday, I don't have any contact lenses. Anyways, <laughs> I am so, I'm so vision impaired. Okay. And so I typically wear glasses every day, but on vacation, I would like to be able to wear sunglasses on the beach. I don't have any contacts. And so I had to schedule a last minute appointment to get a contact fitting, get some glasses this week. But because my schedule is already laid out, I had to really be strategic about, okay, when can I actually do this? <laughs> when can I squeeze this in? But if I had, didn't have the habit of documenting my time ahead of time and and in retrospect, I would have had a harder time doing that or I would have overbooked myself because... You wouldn't have had the margin for that to even happen. Right. I was able to say, okay, I got a couple hours here on Friday where I can still complete the blog post that I have going live. I can still make my phone call with the brand that I'm working on. I can still finish the design plan that I'm working on if I go get my eyes done at this particular time. <laughs> um, and I'm glad you mentioned you know, that personal life aspect, so to speak, because sometimes we will schedule out our business down to the second and then wonder why we don't have time for doctor's appointments, um, why we don't have time for vacations, why we're just always tired or burnt out. So I, I, that's a tip I'm going to have to take in for myself, even just documenting just every single thing. Um, because that's when you realize I'm either doing too much or doing too little or whatever it is that you need to adjust. So I think that is awesome advice. And you mentioned a blog post. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. You're also a blogger. What does that look like for your business? Wow. So blogging has been a part of my career since I started design school um, back in 2007. And so I'm like an OG blogger. <laughs> I'm an OG blogger. And I didn't expect 
my blog to grow in the way that it has because it really started as a labor of love back in 2007 there was no such thing as influencer or you know instagram or all of these other platforms that have come up and so um i just did it because i loved it i love creating content um i love collaborating with other people and other brands and so um that has become another stream of income for me just because I already had that track record and people noticed and have reached out and asked me to collaborate with them. So um, it sounds like your blog essentially has its own identity. Um, are you still able to keep it in on the same path as your design business or have they, has it evolved to the point where now you're running two businesses essentially? Essentially I'm running two businesses because I, my blog content is not simply about design. It's really a lifestyle blog. Um, I noticed that people like to see style inspiration. They like to see travel things, um, you know, just th things that are up and coming in the Raleigh area in particular and um, the art scene. I, I blog about a lot of things. And so that is kind of its own identity. I do advertise my design services through there. And I also... Um, have a shop that people can of curated home decor items that people can shop, but um, it's not necessarily the feed into my design services. So you keep them connected because like, you're a business owner, profitability matters, but they are kind of living, you know, there are separate entities. So is your blog an income stream for you? Yes, it is. Um, through different partnerships and then also kind of an offset of that is because I've been writing for so long I've been able to translate that into writing for local publications as a freelance writer and so that's not necessarily through my blog but it's because of my blog it's a product of doing the blog yes and we hear all the time you need a blog you need a blog you need a blog like Oprah's just handing out blogs to everyone <laughs> But is blogging for everyone? No, absolutely not. <laughs> uh, explain that for our listeners. I, I mean, I can go in all day about why blogging isn't, you know, something everybody needs to do, even though it sounds good. But why do you say that? I think a lot of people who don't have blogs minimize the effort that it takes to have an excellent blog. Um, anyone can, you know, create a blog site and you know, prepare posts and share them, but you need to be adding value in, in some way to each person. Like we're all bombarded. Anytime you pick up your phone or open your computer, you're bombarded with so many options of what to look at on the internet. And so if you are taking even 30 seconds of someone's time, you want to leave a lasting impression on them. And so that may look different for different people, but it needs to be valuable in a way that is memorable too. So for me, I, I had to realize, okay, people are coming to my blog, not just to hear about design products and behind the scenes, but they really want to see me. They want to know about me. Um, and they want to know about themselves. That's what people want to know about. They want to see themselves. And so one of my most popular blog posts this year was, why you shouldn't hire into your designer. And <laughs> I, I read that post. I love 
that post is actually up on the e-design experience site. Yes. Because it had such, it's such an amazing perspective and a fresh voice. Well, and the reason why I was, it was popular is because I was talking about my readers, you know, maybe yeah. not that person specifically, but they could look at someone in their life and think, oh yeah, that person probably wouldn't be a good fit. And it seems counterproductive for someone who provides design services, but it really made the reader feel like, okay, you see me and I see myself. <laughs> you get me. You understand where I'm coming mm -hmm. from. And that, that helps build, you know, that know, like, and trust factor because you get me. So if I were ever to want to, you know, work with someone, of course, as a client, I'm going to work with the person that I already know understands my mindset. Yep. Or I'm just going to pass because she just told me, you know what, this is going to fit for you. <laughs> no, totally. And so I I'm glad you, you, know, you said that because blogging is not for the faint of heart. It's not just, you know, a tab you throw up on your website. And like you said, it's something you've been doing for basically about a decade-ish. Over, you know, yeah, over over a decade, and and this evolved over time. You know, I at one point when I was in school and I had just started my blog, I was blogging every weekday, and it it may not have been full out blog posts, but that was because they we didn't have Pinterest, we didn't have Instagram, we didn't have all these short you know, social media outlets. And so it may have just been, hey, look at this picture. This is why I like this room. Or I used to do like a link of the day where I would post like a link to a really cool article or something that I liked. Um, and so I was adding value to my readers. That translates down to things like Tumblr and Twitter. Sure, and Facebook, yeah. All those things. And now because social media has kind of taken over those short forms of sharing now my blog posts are more robust, you know. Now I might have a blog post that has a video plus uh, professional photos plus me writing a thousand words plus uh, options to shop. So that blog post, that single blog post might take me two weeks to produce. And that's the thing. It's, it's not just, as you said, throwing up words and then kind of putting it out into you know the, the the interwebs you're not just adding noise now it's a little bit more thoughtful um it's a little bit more planning and strategy just like with mm -hmm. and and if you're not if you're not passionate about and enjoying the content creation side of it then you probably shouldn't be doing it um i also feel like if you do not have a mission behind it then maybe you shouldn't be doing it. And now when you say mission, elaborate on that a little bit. For someone who has heard, hey, we should all be blogging, what does that mean? So for me, mission and purpose are similar, but not the same thing. So your purpose for your blog could be, hey, I'm going to create this blog to help my SEO and help my potential clients see that I'm knowledgeable or share updates about my current projects. A mission is a little bit different in that it can include those things, but it, there's a higher meaning behind it. So for me, part of the reason why I continue to blog is because I feel like my mission is to create a visible image of a black young interior designer who 
went to school for interior design, who has worked in these different arenas, who was running her own business. And she's also somebody you might want to hang out with. So I feel like that image didn't exist for me when I was getting started. And so part of my mission is to provide that image to the people who are looking for it. So the mission, you know, is not necessarily the strategy. It's not necessarily something that's tactile, where it's really kind of like a mindset. Where do you, what value are you adding to the universe? And I think that is a very specific distinction, the purpose and the mission. So I love that. And you're going to have to come back so we can, we can talk about vlogging. We can do a podcast about vlogging. We're probably, we're going to have to do a whole Q&A on just that. But yes. right now, at the time of recording, um, we already said it hasn't been a year since you've been on your own. So what's next for you between the building your team, continuing to blog, what is on the horizon for you as you continue to grow? I really see myself uh, continue to do client projects, but I also want to create um different ways to connect with other aspiring interior designers. I've had a lot of people reach out to me wanting to have their own business or they're even starting to offer services, but just trying to figure out how to make that fit for them. And so I would love to cater to that audience as well. So for someone who wants more of you right now, um, as you kind of continue to plan for what's coming, where can people find you, stalk you, and just get more of your awesomeness? Instagram. I love Instagram. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Instagram. It's just my name, N-I-K-I-M-C-N-E-I-L-L. That's one K, two L's. <laughs> Nikki McNeil. Folks, there is a distinction. Yes. One K, two L's. And we can talk all day, Nikki. Like, I mean... We can do this all day, every day. Um, but as you said, we, we are on a time schedule. We have to document our time. You have contacts and things to get. So I'll leave you with one last question. What has been influencing you lately? Mm. I would say this isn't design related, but I just love Tracy Ellis Ross. Every time I see a photo of her and just her wardrobe and just her spirit of being authentically who she is and just a free, beautiful woman. She's been inspiring me a lot lately. Love it. Love it. And I mean, just to be clear, it didn't have to be in business. So that that's perfectly fine. Thank you again, Nikki, for hanging out with me today. We are definitely going to have to have you come back and drop some more of these bites of wisdom. And I know our listeners are going to love everything that you had to say. Thanks again for hanging out with us. Thank you. Bye. You guys, so many nuggets in that conversation. Am I right? It's like when we decide to start our own businesses, for most of us, we're going in blind and it's a lot of trial and error, tweak and repeat, and just winging it, especially as it relates to the business. We have the creative down pat, but we struggle with the business. We can only hope that in those errors, we learn and just kind of continue to be better with each new attempt. That's what Nikki did. From starting her blog a decade ago to using previous design experiences to build her own business, nothing has been lost in the trenches. So what can you learn? 
If you're in the middle of your own season of figuring it out, what lessons are you pulling out of that to continue getting better? What lessons can your transition from being just an interior designer to being a business owner, what has all of that taught you? And then, what did this conversation teach you? While you're listening, be sure to tag Nikki at Nikki McNeil on Instagram and tag the design influence at the design influence on Instagram. Take a screenshot and let us know what's changed in a year for you. We'd love to know where you were a year ago, but also a year from now, where do you see yourself? Where are you currently in your business journey? What has changed and what can change? I cannot wait to see you guys' answers. As always, I'm super thankful for you guys hanging out with me today. For the next two weeks in April, this entire month has all been all about high point market, kind of all stars, if you will. So just amazing people that I've met at market, who I've also gotten a chance to talk to on the podcast. That's all this month. It actually kicked off at the end of March with Cheryl Luckett. Last week, we had Rachel Moriarty. Today, you guys heard Nikki McNeil. For the rest of the month, we got a few more amazing High Point Market All-Stars. If you're listening to this in real time. If you're not, well, just just keep listening to the show. (laughs) Either way, you're definitely going to want to subscribe. And also, if you haven't left a rating or review, I would really appreciate it if you took a quick minute or two to do that now over on Apple Podcasts. I'm super appreciative, as always, of you guys listening to the show, and I will catch you guys next time. Bye!